It is always a blessed opportunity to meet with the church wherever we might be. Of course, this morning I was in Catoosa, and it was great to be with them and with that congregation. It, uh, it is always a good occasion to be able to be with brethren wherever they might meet. And it's good to be with the congregation here in Ulaga as well, and it's always great to be home. There's no doubt the world is searching for happiness. Sadly, it is the case that most people search in all the wrong places. And when I found that illustration, I thought, that is just perfect. I mean, they're looking in desert places for happiness, and they can never find it. The vast majority are headed toward unhappiness because they look in the wrong places. And yet we look at the world and they think that if you can remove all the miseries of the world, that you'll find happiness. But you know, the sad thing is you can't do it. It's not possible. And when they are forced to return, their latter state is worse than the beginning. Others think that if they can remove all the difficulties of life, and somehow that's going to make them happy. And again, they only find dissatisfaction. For the person cannot remove all the difficulties of life. And others think that happiness is to find all the things in the world. And yet, they get all different kinds of things and they add things upon things upon things and the more they get, yet they are never satisfied. And this is in part the deceitfulness of sin. Always promising happiness but his final delivery is always miserableness. So what can we do and what can we bring or what can bring to us true and lasting happiness? Well, Jesus provides us the Beatitudes, which are some principles, some really some general principles that provide each of us with true and lasting happiness. And in fact, the word blessed in this particular case can be translated happy. And in some places within scripture, the same word is used and it is translated happy. And if we will truly make the Beatitudes a part of our lives, we can find true and happy and lasting happiness. Before examining each Beatitude, there are some principles that we ought to consider. Before we can understand the details of the Beatitudes, we must see them as a whole and, and in general. And we'll be looking at some different principles within Scripture that will help us to see the Beatitudes as a whole, or really from this particular text. Before we can apply the specific characteristics of the Beatitudes, we must understand some general principles and some general lessons from the overall perspective of them. The, only the person who sees the full picture of the Beatitudes, both generally and specifically, 
will be a person that really finds true and lasting happiness. If we don't see the overall picture, if we don't see the specifics, we'll never find true and lasting happiness. And so we're going to consider gen five general principles or five general lessons from the Beatitudes. And the first one is all Christians are to apply the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are principles describing what every Christian ought to be. Not just some of us, but all of us need to have these general principles. Men have a tendency to separate Christians. The denominational world, they call it the clergy laity system. And so they apply certain principles to the clergy that don't apply to the laity. But that's simply foreign to the scriptures. And sad to say, within the Lord's church, we have some, of the, some that do the same thing. We'll apply the principles to the leadership, but then the general membership don't have to have these principles. That's not the truth. It isn't lessons for preachers or lessons for elders or lessons for deacons. These are principles that all of us must apply. Then some will say, well, it's for those that are active in the Lord's church, as opposed to those that are less active or not active at all. That's not true either. It's for every member of the church. Or they'll say, well, it's for those that are studied as opposed to those that are less studied. But that's not true either. It's for every member of the church. In fact, this idea of separating Christians into a clergy laity system per se is really, quite frankly, unscriptural. We are all brethren and we're one in Christ Jesus. We are not to exalt one person over the other. We are all one in Christ. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, and this is only one example of this particular statement, there Paul wrote, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And as members one of another, we are to work together. And that's the picture that Paul painted in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, where Paul wrote, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto, it, unto the edifying of itself in love. And what he's talking about in that particular passage is all the parts of the body, whether we're talking about the fingers, the toes, the hands, the feet, the legs, the arms, the torso, or the head, we're all to work together. And if we don't work together, that makes the ineffective use of the body. And most of us know how, know about the ineffectiveness of the body. We have those moments when we do something and we're not supposed to do, and then we're not able to stand up straight or we're not able to do this or that and the other because not every part of the body can operate like it ought to. But brethren, we are brethren, and we must remember every Christian must exemplify the Beatitudes. The second observation is that Christians are to apply all the Beatitudes. And in fact, not only is it meant for all Christians, it's meant for 
all Christians to manifest all and at the and all at the same time. And so that's a lot of alls, but the fact is we are to manifest them all the time and every single one of us are to manifest them and all of them. Sometimes we think that we can manifest a part of them or one particular uh, one of them and somebody else can then take care of the others. Well, that's simply not the case either. Or we think that we can emphasize one beatitude over the other beatitudes. Well, no, that's not true either. All Christians are to manifest all of them all of the time and at all times. If the beatitudes are to be understood properly, it really is impossible to manifest one without the other. You see, one beatitude is built upon the other. A person cannot be poor in spirit without mourning over sin. A person cannot mourn over sin without being meek. A person cannot be meek without hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You see how they build upon the other? And so you cannot separate them. They are, are to be taken together. And we could go on with that and then later on we'll... We'll actually look at that in, in review more and more. The third principle is that the Beatitudes are countercultural. Now, I want to spend just a moment on this idea of countercultural. Some of you, and now not all of you, I know I'm quite confident of that, but some of you remember the hippies back in the 60s. And those hippies sometimes would talk about being countercultural. They're going to be different than the normal culture. Well, they tried to be different, but they were different in a wrong way. And most of them were different in a, in a lot of different wrong ways. But the Beatitudes really are countercultural. They are different. There is a sharp distinction between what Jesus taught and what the world teaches. Consider these. And looking at the Beatitudes and going through all eight of them, Jesus taught humility to be, to be poor in spirit. What does the world teach? The world teaches pride. Jesus taught godly sorrow, but the world teaches happiness at any cost. Jesus taught meekness. The world teaches aggression. Jesus taught an appetite for righteousness. The world teaches an appetite for worldliness and for materialism. Jesus taught mercy, but the world teaches get them back. Jesus taught purity of heart, but the world teaches worldly thoughts. Jesus taught making peace, the world teaches hostilities. Jesus taught suffering for righteousness sake, for our convictions. The world teaches compromise. You see, the Beatitudes are countercultural. Because the Beatitudes are countercultural, it is necessary that they be taught. You know, we, we sometimes will talk about 
being a Christian. And being a Christian is to be taught. And I think it was in this week's bulletin I mentioned that we ought to be thankful for those who taught us the gospel. And we can look back and we can point to different individuals that had a part in teaching us the gospel. And we ought to be thankful for them. I remember a young man several years ago. and We got to be friends with this young man. And really quite close with him in a lot of different ways. And he would talk about his parents. And one day I kind of got a little bit fed up with it. And I finally said, you know, you have something to be thankful for that you haven't even thought about. He says, well, what's that? I mean, he was so angry with his parents, he just couldn't see anything that they did. And and they weren't the best parents, and I know that. But I said, they still was there when the doors were open And they still taught you the gospel. And you know, he started looking at it a little bit different way after that. That's how we have to look at things. You know, Christianity is a taught religion. It doesn't come by inheritance. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come in any other way other than being taught. And we must teach one another. And to be taught. They're not natural. They're countercultural. And for this reason, Jesus sent us into the world to teach. We all know Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We all understand that. But that's why we are to teach all. The Holy Spirit, unlike some denominationals that believe that the Holy Spirit just zaps them and all of a sudden they become a Christian, that's simply not the truth. The truth is, we must be taught. And the Beatitudes are something that we must learn and we must practice them. Not only are Christians to strive to exhibit the Beatitudes, we can exhibit them. Now, brethren, I'm not talking about, you know, just simply making a show and trying to do that. But we can exhibit the Beatitudes. Jesus has not given us an impossible task. Every single one of us can exhibit the, all of the Beatitudes. The next thing that I wanted to, to point out is the Beatitudes are the distinguishing mark between uh, being true Christians and not. As we all know, there is a blur between distinguishing the world from some Christians. It has been said there's too much of the world in the church and there's too much and there's not enough of the church in the world. Or as some have said, there's too much of the world in Christianity and not enough Christianity in the world. And it is often the case and often true that the world has crept into the church. And the church has become far too worldly. I'm reminded of James chapter 4 and verse 4. The adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore shall be a friend or would be a friend or will be a friend of the world 
is an enemy of God. Our ambitions are to be different. Our ambitions ought to to be Christ-like. And the way we can be Christ-like is by exhibiting all of the Beatitudes in our daily lives. Rather than trying and striving to be like everybody else. And we've all heard the young person say, and if we look back at our own lives, we probably said it ourselves more than likely. Well, everybody's doing it. I want to be like everybody else. And I remember the 60s and those tight pants. And then when I was a freshman in high school, and boy, I just couldn't wait to get those tight pants and, and those corduroy tight pants and all the muscles in my legs showing and to be like everybody else. Well, the world has crept into the Lord's church. And rather than trying to be like everyone else, what we really ought to try to be is like Christ. You ever think about that? Rather than trying to be like everybody else, what we ought to try to be like is Christ. The more we are like him, the more we will become unlike the world. You ever think about that? The more we follow the Bible, the more we add the Beatitudes to our life, and the more we live the Beatitudes, the more unlike the world will be. There is something wrong with a disciple of Christ when the world cannot recognize anything different about him or anything different about her. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. For the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Oh, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, we need to be different than the world. We need to be different than the standards that the world has set. We need to apply the principles found within the scriptures. Well, what is different about Christians? Well, let's think about three different things. I made these three A points. Their admiration is different. The Christian's admiration is different. Christians admire those that are poor in spirit while the world despises such a person. You see, the world looks down upon the humble, but we ought to admire such a spirit. Now, I'm not talking about pseudo-humility. If you've known a few people that I've known, and I suspect you, we've all met different ones. They just have different names and look a little bit different. But we've met pseudo-humble people. And they pretend to be humble, but in reality they're not. But we must be humble. We must put others first before ourselves. But not only are their ad admirations different, but their ambitions are different. You see, notice the fourth beatitude. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What's our amb ambition? What are we striving for? 
Well, I hope we're striving for to be hunger or to be hungry and thirsty after righteousness. The world, they seek worldliness and pleasure and wealth and status quo, etc., etc., etc. But that's not our aspirations. That's not our ambition. We are trying to be different from the world. And the Christian's aspiration is different. Christians live for the world to come, not for the world at present. Think about that for a second. Christians live for the world to come. In other words, we live in a spiritual realm. We don't live in this present realm. We're looking for the eternal rewards, not what's in this world. If we're looking for the things of this world, we're going to be sadly disappointed on judgment day when the things of this world are completely destroyed. Well, the last point is because the Beatitudes, Christians belong to a different realm. And really the last point leads up to this particular point that we made. Christians are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. And for this reason, we live in a world, but we're not of the world. Jesus prayed in John 17 and verse 16. Now that's the true Lord's prayer. And that's sometimes called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And talking about his disciples, he said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We live in the world and we can't help but live in the world. And we have to be subject to the vanities of this world. Paul noted that and also the book of Ecclesiastes notes the fact that we have to be subject to the vanities of this world. But we don't have to be of the world. We have to live in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We are strangers and pilgrims. And are we really strangers and pilgrims? We're talking about one that just simply passes through a country or lives in a different country that he belongs to. And that's the difference between being a pilgrim and a, and a stranger. That's the contrast that he made in that particular passage. We're passing through or we're living in a land that we're not really belonging to, that we belong to a different land. We're strangers and pilgrims. Our citizenship is in heaven. In Philippians 3 and verse 20, Paul wrote, For our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the promise of the first beatitude and the last beatitude. The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last beatitude, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about, being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about the kingdom of heaven? Well, Matthew is unique in using this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And I think really there's two ways to look at that expression. Now, Matthew primarily wrote to the Jews. And the Jews thought about the kingdom or the messianic kingdom in a very materialistic way. And, and possibly Matthew then recorded this idea of the kingdom of heaven because it wasn't a 
material kingdom. They saw it as a material, uh, a material kingdom with, uh, that would be having great political power and great military strength. And in fact, they saw the Messiah like a king, a physical king upon a throne here on earth that would rule over the kingdoms of the world. And I've always found it interesting, almost clear up to the end, and I think even clear up to the crucifixion of Christ, the apostles had a far misunderstanding about the nature of the kingdom. And even though Jesus taught them many times about the nature of the kingdom, yet they had a materialistic view of the kingdom. But don't we sometimes, if we're honest, we think about the kingdom in a different way than what it is used within Scripture. And so the kingdom of heaven, those two ways that I'm talking about is that the first is that the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom. And sometimes the heavenly realm is used with reference to being spiritual. It is of the heavenly realm because it is of the spiritual realm. So that's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is the origin of the kingdom. The origin of the kingdom is from heaven. The origin of the kingdom is from the, the Godhead. The origin of the kingdom is what God has established here on earth. That's how we should be looking at the kingdom. And it should help us to understand all those different times when they referred to the kingdom of heaven or the heavenly kingdom. And this is really true throughout the New Testament. When we look and we see the things concerning the heavenly kingdom, we ought to be thinking in the spiritual way. You see, what I'm really talking about is the kingdom and the church are the same in our present time. We need to stop thinking about the kingdom or the church in physical terms and start thinking about it as a spiritual institution, as it is. Jesus said it this way in Luke 17 and verse 21. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. You see, it's a spiritual kingdom within us. In Colossians 1 and verse 13, Paul declared to the Colossians, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You see, what I'm talking about is, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. If this world is not our home, let's quit acting like it is. Let us be more concerned about the spiritual and less concerned about the material. Let us be more concerned about the spiritual and less concerned about the physical. Let us speak those things which are above. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Of the Beatitudes. All Christians are to apply the Beatitudes. Christians are to apply all the Beatitudes all the time 
And Christians or the Beatitudes rather are a counterculture. Beatitudes are the distinguishing mark between true Christians and those that are not. And Christians belong to a different realm. The Beatitudes are God's answer to man's search for happiness. You ever think about that? I mean, God knows, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that God knows we want to be happy. Well, how can I be happy? Look at it to the Beatitudes. And though they are different from what the world says, and the world points us to all those desert places to find happiness, and so we'll stand in line at some amusement park for an hour to ride a ride that will last five minutes at most, and then we'll turn around and stand in that line again for another hour to ride that, line, for, to ride that roller coaster for five minutes once again. And then we go away and we wonder why. No, I'm not happy any longer. We sometimes seek the wrong places to find happiness. Do you want to be happy? I think every one of us could say yes. Then let's make the Beatitudes a way of life. Let's apply. Let's all of us apply all the Beatitudes. This evening we do want to offer the invitation there may be someone that would like to respond to the invitation, and if so, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.